Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show Halloween Special Podcast with me, Alice. Let me take you on a gentle stroll through the archives as we discover intriguing tales about people and events that happened in the past. In this particular episode, we'll be going to a rather stately home in Wolverhampton in the Midlands, and then Bristol-based paranormal investigator Karine Besant tells us exactly what happened to her when she went there for an investigation. This particular episode was first aired on Bradley Stoke Radio in Bristol, England, on the 28th of October 2023. Now though, let's get on with the show. Today's tale takes us to Tetanol Towers in Wolverhampton. Tetanol has for ages been one of those places that people want to live. For many years it's attracted wealthy industrialists and businessmen as well as their families. Some of them had large houses built in large grounds with ornate gardens. One of the well-remembered local industrialists is Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Thornycroft, who purchased Tetanol Towers in Wood Road and became a leading member of local society. He was well known for his eccentric way of life, his inventions and his support of local charities. After his time at Wolverhampton Grammar School, Thomas joined his father's successful business, G.B. Thornycroft and Company, and eventually became a partner. On the 29th of June, 1847, Thomas married Jane Whitelaw of Gartsherry House, Old Monkland, near Glasgow. She was a wealthy Clydeside iron founder's daughter. After his father's death in 1851, Thomas inherited a large sum of money and his father's business, which he continued to grow successfully into a large enterprise with many collieries, shrubbery and swan garden ironworks. G.B. Thornycroft and Company became the largest employer on the eastern side of Wolverhampton. Large profits were made during the Crimean War from the production of shells and armour plate, and by 1873 there were 74 puddling furnaces and 12 mills and forges in the two ironworks. Thomas's management style created a very happy relationship between management and staff in both factories. The company paid higher wages than average and was well respected for it. But in the mid-1870s, things started to go wrong. The business began to run at a loss due to a recession in the iron trade. And after several years of loss-making, the company closed in December 1877, blaming the closure on the higher wages that were paid to the workforce. You see, although Thomas had a reputation for being charitable, he simply gave the workforce an ultimatum when things went bad, telling them to accept lower wages or the factory would close. The workers naturally didn't agree to a pay cut, and so after running the business for 26 years, Thomas shut it down. Word of the Week And today we are going to look into the origins of the word Halloween 
Now, the word Halloween has its roots in Christian tradition. Hallow is an archaic word that evolved from the Old English word halgion. When used as a verb, it meant to sanctify. When used as a noun, it meant holy person or saint. The Eam portion of Halloween is a contraction of even, a word you might know as Eve, which means end of the day. This is why Halloween is sometimes referred to as All Hallows' Eve or All Saints' Eve. All Hallows' Eve was used for the first time in the 16th century. We can thank the 18th century Scots for the contraction Halloween. The ironworks and associated collieries were soon sold and Thomas devoted his time to his many hobbies. In 1853, Thomas purchased a large Georgian country house in Wood Road, Tetnall, that had been built on the site of the Hollybush Inn and had 26 acres of land. He gradually extended the house and also added the towers where he installed signalling equipment. And so in 1866, the house became known as Tetnall Towers. Thomas converted the house into one of the most remarkable houses in the district and filled it with some of his unusual inventions and his many shooting trophies. He shot almost anything that moved, as he loved hunting and shot many animals for trophies, which were displayed throughout the house. In the theatre, there were antlers, cattle horns and animal heads. Many of the chairs had arms that were embellished with them. There were also two chandeliers with lighted gas emerging from the points of antlers. Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Thornycroft's rank came from the Queen's own Royal Regiment of Staffordshire Yeomanry, a sort of territorial army in which he served. He was never a member of the regular army, though. In 1855, he commanded his troops during the miners' riots in Wolverhampton, and in 1866, he commanded the mounted detachment of yeomanry when Queen Victoria visited the town. Tettenhall Towers in Wolverhampton is a Grade II listed building which was originally built as a country house on the site of the Hollybush Inn by Tom Pearson on land purchased from the Foley family in the late 18th century. It's set in 26 acres and is located on Wood Road in Tetnall. Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Thornycroft designed most of the furniture in the house and added the Great Hall, complete with a stage and seating for, wait for it, 500 people. A lot of the ornate wooden panelling in the theatre was made by local craftsmen, but some sections were purchased from Tewkesbury Abbey, and Ludlow Castle. The theatre had an auditorium, a backdrop for scenery, and a fan that blew hot, cold, or scented air into the room. There was also a waterfall at the back of the stage, in which water cascaded down from a tank that was 44 feet above the ground. The waterfall was lit by coloured lights to create a spectacular scene. Another amazing feature consisted of a water pump that blew a jet of air into the base of the fire in the Inglenook fireplace, which sent flames roaring up the chimney. The theatre had a sprung oak floor, which was ideal for dancing. Thomas loved writing poetry, 
and had this to say about it. The oak floor makes a skating rink, it's on elastic springs, so when you dance you're apt to think you're fluttering on wings. As well as writing poetry, Thomas was a skilled musician who played the violin and had his own band. He composed a number of waltzes, songs and even an opera called The Thornycroft Cousins. The band gave many public and private performances in his hall. Thomas also gave magic lantern shows and raised money for charities from various performances in his theatre. The Magic Lantern, by the way, also known by its Latin name, Laterna Magica, was an early type of image projector that used pictures, paintings, prints or photographs on transparent plates, usually made of glass, one or more lenses and a light source. So it's pretty much like an early version of a slide projector. Thornycroft fancied himself as an inventor and would try out ideas in his home. One such idea was an elaborate ventilation system that was superior in his day. His inventing ideas also extended to the sewers and he had at least 20 toilets installed, including one invented by himself. He also invented a device which pumped foul air from the sewers the expelled foul gas being burned at the head of a pipe some 40 feet from the house. He also had most of the rooms in his house fitted with fans for ventilation and there were a number of very elaborate devices developed by the Colonel to heat both the rooms and clothes should you wish. He installed a lift in the house and had a racket court and a Turkish bath built his inventing ideas didn't just stop at his house because he designed a battleship which he patented and sent a copy of the design to the Admiralty. And he was very apt to mix his hobbies together because he loved horses and he designed several carriages. He was also a fan of steeplechasing, was a member of the Albrighton Hunt and greatly enjoyed going out with his hounds. He even wrote a hunting song. One of his other hobbies was boating, and this love of boats and the water would ultimately be the death of him. <laughs> Word on the street. Today we venture to Wolverhampton, the setting of today's story, and Fowler Street in Blackenall, named after Henry Hartley Fowler. Henry was born on May the 16th, 1830, the son of Reverend Joseph and Elizabeth Fowler. His father was a Wesleyan minister, and his mother was the sister of John Hartley, who became mayor in the 1850s. Fowler trained as a solicitor, and came to Wolverhampton as a partner to Charles Corser, his future wife's brother-in-law. On the 6th of October, 1857, he married Ellen Thornycroft, the daughter of George Benjamin Thornycroft, 
was Wolverhampton's first mayor. George, by the way, is the father of Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Thornycroft, who we've been talking about. Fowler was elected to the council as member for St Matthew's Ward, where he pushed for better drainage and sewers for the town streets. He later became the mayor in 1862-63. He then stood for Parliament and was elected by a large majority. In the capacity of Member of Parliament, he became, in the space of a few years, Financial Secretary to the Treasury and a Privy Councillor. He was instrumental in proposing the Wolverhampton Corporation Act of 1891 and became the first Freeman of the Borough in the following year. For a short time, he was appointed as Secretary of State for India, but the Liberals were then voted out of power. During the next ten years of Liberal opposition, he remained very active both inside and outside Parliament. In 1908, he was appointed Viscount Wolverhampton as a Right Honourable Sir Henry Fowler, GCSI. He died in 1911, aged 83. The family lived at Summerfield West Park and later at the Woodthorne Works Road. His daughter, Ellen Thornycroft Fowler, wrote many books about the local area and people, slightly changing their names. And she married Mr. Alfred Falcon at Tetnall in 1903. Now, don't think that Thornycroft was all sweetness and light. There was a rather sinister side to him, because among other things, Colonel Thornycroft was known for pushing his butlers off the top of the towers to test his flying machines, as he was a keen inventor. He also apparently used the towers as a means of communicating with his workforce across the black country, waving semaphore flags from the roof. But on the whole, it does seem like he tried to help his local community. He ran and equipped a company of boys from the Boys Brigade, at his own expense, which were called the Thornycroft Tetanol Company. He also collected £2,600, around 264000 in today's money, for beautifying and enlarging Tetanol Churchyard. Much of this money was supplied by himself and the family, and from various performances at his theatre. In 1902, Thornycroft visited the Wolverhampton Art and Industrial Exhibition and was fascinated by the Great Water Chute, where, much like today's versions, a boat was pulled to the top before it plummeted downwards into a lake. He had to try it out for himself, but when he did, the boat hit the water slightly askew and Thomas was thrown heavily against the side of the boat. He was badly shaken and became very ill. He never really recovered from the illness and died at home on the 6th of February 1903. His funeral was held at St Michael and All Angels Church in Tetanol on Tuesday the 10th of February. Large crowds gathered to watch the procession as it made its way down the rock to the church in what must have been one of Tetanol's most impressive funerals. He was eventually buried in the graveyard at the church. His wife died on the 29th of September 1908 at the home 
and was buried alongside her husband, as was their daughter, Eleanor, who died on the 17th of November, 1941. Tetanol Towers was purchased by Tetanol College in 1943, and on the 29th of July, 1950, it became a Grade Two listed building. And now for the more spooky aspect of this Halloween special. There are many different types of activity reported at Tetanol Towers that it would be impossible to list them. But let's just say the caretaker of the building refuses to go into the doll's house since a recent terrifying experience. Ghostly figures have been reported, an unwelcoming presence is felt in the attic, and even poltergeist activity experienced in parts of the location. The sound of incarnate voices from empty rooms have been heard from visitors, and strange black shadows have been seen in the building. And the figure of a man is said to roam around the building, disappearing as quickly as he came. It's also documented that scared builders have fled the property and not returned because of what they've seen or heard. You may be wondering why we featured Tetanol Towers in this particular show. Well, it's because normally at this point I share with you recordings of paranormal investigations I personally went on. Well, I went on some, but nothing much happened for me to share with you, so I went one better. I managed to get in touch with Karine Besant, a well-known Bristol-based paranormal investigator consultant for heritage venues and also runs the paranormal hire and research at Jamaica Inn. And let's not forget she's also a founding member of the UK Paranormal Society, a charity that helps public and heritage venues on guidance and advice to protect from misleading information. Corrine actually did an investigation at Tetanol Towers and here's what she had to say. Many years ago, I was at a fabulous location called Tetna Hall Towers in Wolverhampton. It was a Victorian building, though supposedly part of it was built on the site of an old coaching inn. We'd not long arrived, and myself and another colleague were at the top of the stairs, which led down to the previous owner's theatre. As we were about to take a step, in between us came this sound. <laughs> Both of us looked at each other, our eyes widened in shock, and then two pairs of chubby legs ran as fast as they could down the bottom of the stairs. But that was just the start of the night's events. Every corner, corridor, or room you went in, or cellar, you thought that something was watching you. And something was. I was in the cellar at one point, just listening with a friend, a fellow investigator. And behind us were three steps that had obviously been covered over many years previously. And the sound of a man's boot hitting that step 
with the force of weight behind him, made us jump and give a little scream. As we put our torches on, there was nothing there. And then there was a door opposite that was locked. And in the darkness, we heard the handle turn and the sound of a bolt or a key. We quickly put the torches on, nothing there. And to end the night, half three in the morning, I was walking through the corridors with a couple of cases of paranormal equipment. And in my right ear, a man's voice. I felt the whisper, the breath, and the word he used was a very rude word, but he said it as if he was making fun of me. This time, I put my cases down. I looked around me, no one there. Then I started laughing. And I said, well, that's bloody typical, isn't it? So that's one story. I hope you agree with me that those were some really spooky experiences. But it doesn't stop there. Corrine shares some more of her ghostly encounters. You never forget your first sighting of a ghost, spirit, whatever you want to call it. Mine was many, many years ago. I happened to be at the world-famous Jamaica Inn, high up on the desolate Bodmin Moor in Cornwall. I was in the museum with about four or five other people, and it was an organised public paranormal night. They were calling out for children. So I had some bracelets on, so I decided to take them off, put them on the floor. And staring at the bracelets, I saw an image. Not your typical image of a ghostly child. But think back to old cine film that had been cut into slithers. And every time a slither came into focus, you could make out a child, a girl around about seven or eight, on her knees wearing a dark gray dress, a white oversmock with beautiful blonde curly hair. I sat there still, stunned, couldn't believe what I was seeing. As this girl played with my bracelets, yet the bracelets didn't move off the ground. I watched this for maybe up to a couple of minutes, every now and again, going in and out of focus. And that was the time I fell in love with this beautiful smuggling inn. As Halloween draws near, we always feel that the dead, ghosts, spirits, entities, whatever you want to call them, come closer into the world of the living. And we love to investigate castles, haunted manors, inns. And that is when it's the most popular time for us investigators to go out. And over the years, I've investigated 
all those wonderful, wonderful places. I've been poked in the back in a building that goes back to 1410. I've had my ponytail pulled in the cellar that originally was an old manor where Queen Elizabeth I visited. I've had my face touched at the famous Craigie Noss in Wales. I felt as if something had gone through me in the Edinburgh vaults high up in Scotland. But sometimes it's sitting still and just watching and waiting and seeing a shadow that in the darkness moves but is blacker than any black that you can describe. And it's the shape of a human but no features. And you see it move through a room and you just watch it. Eyes getting bigger, widening with the shock. Your brain trying to comprehend what that image is. No sound, just a pure shadow and then it just disappears. That is what we love. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. In the news today, two thieves who stole a calendar were sentenced in court. They each got six months. Back in the day facts. And so we start with the 28th of October, 1831, when Michael Faraday demonstrates his dynamo invention, an electrical generator. He went on to invent the first electric motor, the first electrical transformer, the first electric generator and the first dynamo paving the way for the use of electricity on a large scale. Faraday rose from humble origins and got his big break when he convinced the eminent chemist, Humphrey Davy, to hire him as an assistant at the Royal Institution. Faraday's other achievements include the discovery of benzene and the influence of light on a magnetic field, the Faraday effect. On the 31st of October 1922, fascist leader Benito Mussolini becomes Prime Minister of Italy. And on the same day, but in 1926, there was a failed assassination attempt on Mussolini by 15-year-old Antio Zamboni, 
who was lynched on the spot. On the 1st of November 1997, Titanic, directed by James Cameron and starring Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, premieres at the Tokyo International Film Festival. It goes on to win the Academy Awards Best Picture in 1998. On the 2nd of November 1974, 78 people die when the Time Go-Go Club in Seoul, South Korea burns down. Six of the victims jumped to their deaths from the seventh floor after a club official barred the doors after the fire started. And lastly, on the 3rd of November, 1783, John Austin, a footpad-turned-murderer, is the last to be publicly hanged at London's Tyburn Gallows. Well, I fear that's the end of this week's episode of the Backtracker History Show podcast. I'm unable to do one for next week because it's half term, but there will be one the following week. If you check out the show notes, then you'll find the full list of Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Thornycroft's inventions. And, as I have several paranormal investigations booked, I promise that if one comes up that's really interesting, I may do a special episode just for you. Once again, a huge thank you to Kareen Bizant for giving us some information about her paranormal investigation into today's location, Tetanol Towers. Also, thank you to Steve Shepherd for lending his voice talent to the show. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>